If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. Yeah, welcome back to Bisexual Brunch with Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson and with me, Ashley Byrne. We're the groundbreaking new weekly show for all ages and all nationalities celebrating what it means to be bisexual. Uh, Thanks to all of you who listened uh, to the first episode last week and for all your good wishes and feedback on Twitter and elsewhere. Keep it coming. And remember that you can listen back to all our weekly shows wherever you get your podcasts at any time. Now, it's been interesting, guys, because... We're UK-based, as most people probably know, listening to us. You know, I'm in Manchester, you two are in London. But we've started off with a, an instant international audience. We're getting downloads from every continent, with 30% coming from the United States. Now, I'm not surprised by that, as I think there's more of an open bisexual sort of debate going on in certain quarters in America than there probably is here in Britain or, or elsewhere. What do you make of that, Lewis? I mean, you're a you know a, a bisexual activist. You're involved in the journalism side of things quite a bit. Do you think it's um, it's likely that America is going to be uh, in tune with what we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's interesting with, when it comes to an American audience. Because on the one hand, you could argue, well, look, there's just 333 million people there. There's just more opportunity to talk about everything compared to our 64 million people. But at the same time, they actually do have more organizations. You know, I write a lot for buy.org. Um, that's very specific. And they actually have money to pay by writers there. So it is interesting. And don't forget, under Obama, you know, they had um, a, a White House conference a, about bisexuality. I mean, I think that was back in 2016. It's an interesting one. I can understand why why we've got an audience there. I do think in the UK, there aren't as many avenues, you know, if you're a person looking to talk about bisexual content, is there really any way you could go to be like, oh, here are are some top new podcasts, here are some new books. It's very much like you need to be in the know, you need to follow the right people. And that's what I hope we're changing with this podcast, that maybe people can come, get inspired, they'll hear about the people we're talking about, the themes we're talking about. And, you know, we, and we might be able to even signpost bisexuals on to other things they might find helpful. What do you make of it, Nikki? Yeah, my feeling has always been that Americans take bisexuality slightly more seriously than we do. And that impression was something I really got when I was living and working in California. Okay, California is California and they have a slightly different attitude to most things. But uh, I did get the sense in general that people that were bi had to own it a bit more because of the fact that it's just a little bit difficult to live and get through the, your daily life, I think, in America. I think, you know, the kind of like cut and thrust of it makes it a bit more hard work. So people tend to own their identities a bit more. That, that was my feeling anyway when I was there. My impression is that there's certainly, as Lewis says, there are certainly more groups and organisations and, you know, embracing the whole idea of bisexuality and bisexual uh, research. And we're going to talk about research <laughs> coming up in a moment. But 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 I also feel that 
from the feedback we've got from various people who've who responded to us in on Twitter and various things that although that those organizations exist there still isn't necessarily the widespread communication to the mass audience that might be bisexual so what i'm saying is that there's a lot of academic circles and people talking about it in a very intelligent way but you know getting beyond that is quite difficult and i think that's where we've probably got something in common on both sides of the atlantic because one of the things I think we're very keen on doing, isn't it, is to try and reach beyond people like me, you, and Lewis who identify as bisexual and to get to those people who just can't find any connection. So they're not necessarily likely to talk about being bisexual or to be open about being bisexual because there's no pointers. There's no people in the media. There's no people, there's no friends. There's nobody that can say who's bisexual. So they end up in this sort of you know, stranglehold sort of, of of not being able to sort of communicate how they really feel. And I think if we can do anything in this podcast, and it's going to be hard, I know, but it's to try and reach beyond those people who are, who are open and, and, and speak to the people who I suppose need our support in many ways. Yeah, I think there's definitely a class element to it. And what I mean by that is that there's a there's a kind of acceptance and an easier tolerance and a more broader discussion maybe amongst people in the middle classes about being bi. And I wonder if there are just a few more people who maybe a working class who feel a, a little bit more apprehensive because maybe the middle class has tried to own it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we need to get out to the people who, you know, as we know, we've talked about this before and we'll carry on talking about it. Bisexuality isn't one story. People have got lots of different things to say about bisexuality. Some people think of themselves as 50-50, some people 80-20, 70-30, whatever. There are people, and, and it's it's fluid and changes throughout life and all the rest of it. But, you know, we need to be getting to the – I tweeted you about it or texted you about it, didn't I, the other day, Lewis? We need to be getting to the builder in Birmingham, you know, who, yeah. who's married, who, you know, happens to actually also fancy guys and wants to at least be open about it and in some way, shape, or form. We need to get to those people, don't we? Yeah, and I also think another thing is people that have bisexual people in their lives. You know, I get a lot of questions all the time when people have come out, whether that's, you know, a boyfriend, a friend, saying, you know, what should I do? What should I say? What are the questions I should ask? Because people are, if they're good people, you know, a little bit more sensitive these days. And they don't want to run in and say, oh, well, I think this about bisexuals and I think that about bisexuals. They do actually want to say, you know, meaningful things. And I think some people are looking for ways to support bisexual people in their lives. And, you know, and and it's uncharted territory for everyone. So sometimes they do say, you know, oh, I'm going to reach out to that bi guy on Twitter with his top off and see what he thinks. You know, I get that quite a bit. What do you say to a bisexual? How do you, how will, you know, what's the right thing to say to somebody who's bisexual? And actually, to be honest, th- there's no right or wrong way in a way because we've, we're all still learning, aren't we? Because bisexuality has been hidden for such a long time you know it's been suppressed by you know the establishment and media and all the rest of it for so many so many you know so many decades and centuries that people um just aren't able to sort of you know communicate that kind of thing in a way are they yeah absolutely i think there's a lot of self-censoring that goes on especially as well in kind of like families in friends uh, amongst people who are bisexual and the people that they know because it's easy to pass because it's easy to kind of get on with your life more or less. Maybe you're having personal problems, but they're not visible to the world. So I think there's been a lot of kind of dodging of some of the more difficult conversations that it would benefit benefit people to have. 
Exactly. Well, I had a strange encounter the other day with someone who accepted, actually, that bisexuality existed, but said that uh, they didn't think it mattered how you identify, because ultimately you're defined by your actions and who you end up in a relationship with, and you're likely to either end up in a gay relationship or a straight relationship. So their view was that biphobia is no big deal because eventually you settle into one group or another. Now, that is the attitude that we're fighting against. So this was somebody who I actually who actually identified as bisexual. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah, absolutely. How do we, you know, that's the kind of attitude we're dealing with with certain people. So there's a long way to go, isn't there, really? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, we've got such a long way to go. One of the things I always do say is there is a difference between biphobia, just hating bisexual people because of who they are, and by ignorance, which I think is actually more prevalent. I don't think as many people hate bisexuals of a fiery passion as there are people that just haven't thought about it and just say the first ignorant thing that comes to mind. And, you know, it that shows itself with being defined by your partner. You know, people look at me and think, oh, he's in an opposite sex relationship. He doesn't have to deal with anything. He's basically straight. And, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know why, but this reminds me of something that happened to me a couple of years back when I was with my girlfriend um, and we were at a dinner party with her mom and we were talking about L.A. And all of a sudden I went to chime in about when I went to L.A. with my ex-boyfriend and then suddenly realized, oh, if you start giving your experience about L.A., you're going to have to tell them about your ex-boyfriend and everyone here is going to then spit out their tea and say, what do you mean? You're with a girl what do you mean you had a relationship with a guy before? What does that mean? And, you know, it's about being open and honest. If I find a guy hot, I should be able to say I think he's hot. If I want to talk about a past sexual relationship or, you know, just a relationship that I've had with guys, I should be able to. And having the, well, you must be gay or straight put on you is is textbook biphobia, unfortunately. Um, you know, and it is sad because it is in our own community. I, I You know, the first time I met another bisexual guy, I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, another bisexual guy? How is this possible? It's rarer than unicorns. And I was, you know, running over myself to go and talk to him. And he was a nasty piece of work. And he was nasty to me. He basically said that, you know, I wasn't bisexual. And it it was a big letdown for me. And, you know, other bisexual people, we're not immune to it ourselves. I think sometimes we can get very um, close-minded sometimes with, well, I'm bisexual, this is what it means to me, that's it, I would accept any other version of bisexuality. So there's learning and growing to be done all around, I think. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like you just said, you know, um, no one bisexual is the same, I suppose, no one straight person, no one gay person is the same at the end of the day. Um, everyone, Everyone's different, but I think that I think we do have an issue in the fact that because there's no points for people to point to for bisexuality, you know, whether it be role models, whether it be friends, family, whatever it may be, as a, as a general rule, uh, means that there's a lot of people out there who are, and we'll do this in, in future weeks, I'm sure, when we talk about mental health and things like that, who are struggling, really struggling to be able to just accept who they are. And I think... Um, if we can do anything in this in this podcast, if we can reach out to those people and, and, and help them feel that they're not alone, then I think that'll be a good thing. Yeah, what you said about role models was really interesting. So last week, a bisexual guy actually reached out to me on Instagram with 
you know, a bit of an issue where he'd come out to his wife as bisexual and things hadn't gone, you know, according to plan, if you if you can plan for those things. And one of the things that became sort of obvious to me, and I, I did give him my advice, and, you know, it's not the first time a bisexual guy has reached out to me about coming out to his wife. Um, but one of the things I did realize was that there aren't many, not just role models, but more points of reference, if that makes sense, that, you know, someone could say to their wife, look, I am bisexual. It's like this character, or it's like this celebrity, or it's like this guy we know. Um, And that's quite hard because it's, you know, you need more than one example as well. So you need to be, you know, it's going to work like this, it's going to work like that. And I think for a lot of people, bisexuality is so unsettling um, when someone in their life has it, or someone they're romantically attracted to um, is bisexual, that you know, it, it can kind of be hard to have to explain bisexuality and the exact dynamics of how it's going to work. You know, what does this mean for us? Do you want to leave me? Do you want to have sex with me? You know, this is the kind of thing that, that happens a lot. And I think that the good way around it would just be to have more points of reference in TV, popular culture, celebrities, all of it. Yeah, agree, agree a million times. Yeah, I just, I just think it's, again, it's this matter of, the more we talk about it, the more we normalise it, the more people find it easier to ask questions and to give opinions and the easier everybody who's bi, who is bi will have an easier life as a result of it. And as we are here debating the ins and outs of bisexuality, we are obviously still facing the fact that some people don't think we exist at all. So on last week's show, we were talking about research that had been done that after 20 years concluded that, yeah, bisexual men do exist. Um, Obviously, we were all quite amazed and amused by the fact that science had spent 20 years researching that. But we did say that we would track down the researchers and ask them some questions, which is exactly what we did. So let's take a little listen to the interview now that Nikki and Ashley did with Dr. Gerolf Rieger. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Yeah, hello everyone. I'm Gerolf Rieger from the University of Essex. I'm a reader here in the psychology department. Now, Gerolf, you've been looking at these kind of issues for a long, long time. Because I remember we, we've interviewed you for various things over many years. Um, so bisexuality has been something you've been looking at for a long time, probably going back to about ooh, maybe... 2005, something like that, maybe? This yeah. is correct, yeah, yes. exactly. So you've been looking at it for a long time. First of all, just before you, you know, we go into the detail of it, why? Why does this area fascinate you and interest you? The reason why I've become so fascinated with uh, bisexuality is that when we started doing this type of research, it really was completely understudied. And even homosexuality was really understudied and certainly still is. But there was even more of a myth around bisexuality. And I think this was fueled by the fact that straight people didn't really know who they are. And a lot of gay people actually didn't know so many of them either. So there was there were all sorts of stories around bisexuality, but not much knowledge. So that really got me into the subject. Okay. How did it all start then, the, re- the initial research that right way, way back? What did you initially start start doing you know how did what was the practicalities of it the initial research was pretty much a small study of what we just published but with just a much much uh, smaller sample of men 
we really wanted to know, can we verify bisexual men's uh, self-identity by looking at their genital arousal? So what we do in the lab for years now is that we, we show pornography, we show erotica, we show people uh, uh, videos of attractive men or videos of attractive women. They're highly sexual, these videos. We know this is stuff that turns people on if they are turned on by these videos. And the question was quite simple. Do bisexual guys show arousal to both videos of men and women as compared to straight men and gay men? I mean, this is just so fascinating to me, Harold, obviously. But what I was wondering is, how do you... How do you kind of iron out things like the fact that somebody might just fancy a particular person in a video versus, you know, any person of a particular gender? You're really good in asking the right questions that I don't have the best answers to. Um, the, the, it is a limitation of the type of research that we're doing that uh, we cannot show all sorts of videos that we would ideally like to show because there are some practical limitations to, to these experiments. I can only show, for example... 45 minutes of porn, otherwise people just tire out. And, um, you know, they might think it's really exciting to see all this erotica for so long, but in reality, of course, we, we can only watch so much. And so what we've done is a compromise, which is that we had uh, previous people look at a lot, a lot, a lot of pornography, and these were all gay men, straight men, uh, bi guys, uh, lesbians, straight women, bisexual women, and uh, they looked at videos of both men and women and they simply told us which ones they liked the best. And then we picked those videos that were most popular across everybody. So it's not the case, unfortunately, that you may see a video where you will say to me, I certainly will be totally into these people, but the chance that you will be into them is high. So, I, so it's basically subjective as well. You're using a kind of subjective reporting from the people that are watching it to tell you if they fancy the participant, uh, the people in the videos. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have both. We have uh, the, the genital measure, which is the one that, of course, fascinates us because the idea is that it tells us more than just what people like to share. And we always ask them, how did you actually like it? So it's not that we don't care about the mind. But uh, the subjective measure, the subjective arousal hasn't really told us anything that would, um, you know, be shocking or surprising in any way. Bisexual men certainly say they like both our videos of men and women as compared to straight men and gay men. Now, initially, when you first did the research, you found something different than you found this time, didn't you? So tell us about your initial findings back in 2005 or whenever it was. So the study we did in 2005 had a very similar setup. Gay men, straight men and bisexual men came into the lab and we showed them pornography and we checked who gets aroused to what. And there were no surprises for gay men or straight men. They got aroused to their preferred gender. The bisexual men ended up being the 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 puzzle because they said subjectively they liked both men and women. They did like our videos. So it's not that they didn't like it, but uh, their genital arousal, their penises told us a different story. Most of them showed only arousal to men. So most of them looked like gay men, but if they didn't show arousal to men, they only showed arousal, arousal to women. So it looked like our bisexual guys at the time were really in their arousal patterns, either like gay men or like straight men, but they didn't look bi. So this was the result back then in 2005. 
And what was the conclusion? The conclusion we had at the time is that uh, perhaps male sexual arousal, if not sexual orientation, is what we call bimodal, as in you you have one peak in the in the straight direction, and that's a huge peak, as in most guys are just straight, they get aroused to women, end of the story. And then there's a smaller peak in the in the gay direction, which is that there are some guys who are only aroused to men and they identify as gay. And there could be another group of men who are bisexual, but they're just really, really hard to find compared to gay men or straight men. Okay, and what did your recent study show then? What's the difference? The difference to the old study is that this recent study combined many, many different data sets. So what we've done over the last uh, 15 years, if not longer, is that we kept running these experiments. And uh, sometimes uh, we would find that bisexual guys showed bisexual arousal and sometimes we didn't find it. And it was all very confusing, really. And what we wanted to know is that what if we put these hundreds of, of, of data points together. So I'm talking about uh, almost 500 men from whom we had genital arousal data available for analysis. And when you put these together, there is a clear pattern there that bisexual men get strongly aroused to both men and women. There's, no, there's absolutely no question that, that they don't get aroused to both men and women. And it's very different from the smaller studies we've done before, which suggests to me that we simply just didn't have the power to see it because we didn't have enough men in in our studies. That's so fascinating, Gerald. The other thing I wanted to ask you as well is, do you think there's something different about bisexual arousal? Do you think maybe the way that you were trying to record it was problematic? I think for some of our participants, that is true. Because from we, we usually talk to our participants, it's something where how can you just measure their genital arousal and not talk about what happened? And uh, I do remember that uh, some people, and it could in fact be more of the bisexual people, have said to us, these videos just don't do it to them. So let's say even if they are subjectively aroused to this man or to to this woman, maybe just watching them on a video isn't enough for them. Maybe they want more action. Maybe they want something tactile. They want to touch. They want to smell. Maybe they want something a little bit more exciting than just uh, vanilla sex. So I do think that there's a whole new area to explore what is it that turns them on the most. And of course, the other thing is, which probably doesn't often come into these studies is the fact that, and we've we found it on many occasions where we've interviewed people who identify as bisexual, and I suppose it happens with straight and gay people as well to an extent, but people have varying degrees of types of attraction to people. So sometimes the bisexual attraction is more emotional than it is sexual. Uh, do you know what I mean? There's a lots of variations, isn't there? Some people, you often speak, you often speak to people who are bisexual who will say, yes, I'm 50-50. Or they might say, well, actually, I'm 80-20 or, or whatever it may be. Or it's changed as the years have gone by. You know, this is, a, this is quite a complex area, isn't it, really? 
Yes, you can start digging and it, it just gets more complex. Uh, I think some of it we may be able to address of what you uh, suggested in the future, but we're, we're not quite there yet. The emotional component, for example, we are studying right now when we're, we're more focused on women at the very moment, because when we, the last time we talked, uh, we had published a study on female bisexuality where the results are very different. It's, it looks like all women, no matter what their identity is, look bisexual in our lab. And after that got published, a few women approached us and said, you know, there's an, an emotional component to it when I watch another woman in, in a video. Uh, I may feel empathy towards her for what, what's happening to her. It's not necessarily that I'm just horny, but it is something, there's a connection there. And I may get a physiological reaction because of that. And uh, we haven't heard that part about bisexual men necessarily, but in women, I can definitely see that. And we're currently working on that. Uh, the other thing that uh, you have just suggested is that you know things change over time, and that's very true. We we know from other research that uh, bisexual men and women in particular they may actually they be maybe more flexible in their attraction. So it's not a clear cut pattern. Is you know maybe it's fifty fifty today, but it could be a different percentage tomorrow. And we have started longitudinal research where we want to follow people over time, invite them back into our lab and see you know, how does that subjective change reflect in their physiological arousal. Is it the case, Gerolf, that, you know, we're sort of really at the beginning of understanding sexuality in general, and we've kind of left bisexuality till the end, but do you feel like maybe the way we categorise people is really quite, quite simple anyway? It is simple, but I'm big fan of simplicity. I think the world's so complex. And I I know that this is something that I'm getting some heat for, but I, I, I if I can tell a complex story in a simpler way, I'm, I feel I'm doing my job better. With respect to sexuality, with our sexual orientation, I, I totally agree. I mean, we're, we have made huge progress over the last 20 years, but Bisexuality in itself is a good example how we have completely missed out on things. There's no way that bisexual men just suddenly emerged in the last 10, 20 years. They will always have been around, of course. We just didn't see it. I, I think that if we want to give a better picture of what's going on in humans, we, we need to stick to somewhat simpler stories, or otherwise we just get completely lost. But bisexuality as we know, as journalists have been talking to people who are bisexual and happen to be bisexual ourselves, it is immensely complex. I mean, everyone's lives are complex to an extent, but I think, I don't know if Nikki would agree, you know, there's not one bisexual story that's the same. We're all very, very different. Now, could one of the issues be with, in terms of your research, in terms of trying to sort of get it completely accurate and the change, obviously, you've got more numbers over the years kind of thing, but could it be the fact that we live in a society where, just generally, let's face it, across the whole world, bisexuality still is not really talked about and recognised. So has been that part has that been part of the issue in terms of recruiting people to take part in these studies? You know what? It could be because this isn't a confirmed finding. This is just something that I've observed over the years that 
I think when we did the earlier studies, there was more stigma around bisexuality than there is now. And I think some of these people who are happily participating now, they just wouldn't have done it 20 years ago. And that left us potentially with a different group of people who identified as bisexual. So amongst men, there's certainly a group of gay men who go through a by now gay later phase. We know now that this is the opposite isn't true. It's not that all bi guys are truly gay, but some gay men go through this bi phase. And I, I think that, for example, 20 years ago, we, for whatever reason, we're more likely to get them into the lab than we do now versus more people are open about their bisexuality now and, and come and visit us. Do some straight men go through a bi phase as well, do you think? Uh, they are. They, I think compared to gay men going through a bisexual phase, you won't find as many straight men. But we do know that there is a group of straight men who... Uh, actually prefer to identify as what we call mostly straight. So they have some some preferences for other guys. And some of them go back and forth between straight and mostly straight. There's a discussion going on now about how the proportion of bisexual people is growing because more people feel more confident to admit that they are bisexual. From your experience and your research, do you think that is true rather than there being a huge swathe of bisexuals that I don't know, are just being created from events that are happening in, in, in the current climate. I think both is true. I think we have more, a more confident community of bisexual men and women now who say, you know, this is what I am. And we find them now in the studies more so than we have before. Uh, I do also think that uh, there is a huge push towards uh, there's almost a people almost push to find a new identity for themselves by the hour. And so it you may actually end up with people saying, this is what I am now, and tomorrow they say something different, but potentially not because this, because this is how they feel, but they feel this pressure that they have to uh, constantly uh, reinvent their identity. And I, I do think that makes research like ours actually somewhat more challenging because I, it's hard for me to keep up with all the identities that are out there. <laughs> well, as, as bisexual people who, who are very openly bisexual and very comfortable with being bisexual, you know, we could look back and say, well, actually, all this talk and this research has been going on for a long time. We can go back nearly 70 years, actually. I was, we were, uh, Nikki and I were talking about it being 60 years of the day, but actually it is nearly 70 years ago since the Kinsey report uh, which revealed that bisexuality did exist, but it seemed to have been sort of ignored by the mainstream media for many, many years who have consistently wanted to, whenever anybody comes out, a celebrity or whatever, they want to shove them in the, the gay closet or the straight closet or whatever. Bisexuality seems to be something people find very difficult to talk about. Maybe it's the fact that the word sex is in there. I don't know. That might be the problem. You know that I haven't thought about that. You might be quite right because for... Uh, for heterosexual and homosexual, straight and gays being commonly used terms versus for bisexual. Yes, you could call somebody bi, but I think bisexual is still the word that that's used in the in the media. And maybe the word sexual in itself is is too much for people. It, it's quite possible. 
You think we'd have got over that by now, wouldn't you? Really, in <laughs> you would think. But there you go. But they think we're all having orgies. That's the thing. That's what they think. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, you might know better than I because I'm I'm gay, but there's definitely this idea out there amongst people who are not bisexual that those who are bisexual are also more promiscuous. They're more likely to do all sorts of sex parties and so forth. Uh, the little what I've realized from talking to people who are bisexual is that they seem to be more curious about sexuality in general. I think they have, they seem to have a bit more, more tuned in with sex than both gay and straight men and women. I think we probably agree with that, Nikki, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's fascinating. I'd know. I, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to confess by my exploits for sure. But um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to know, girl, it's a bit political, really. But you know, like now, we, people increasingly talk about being pansexual or even omnisexual. And there's been we felt Ash and I and Lewis have certainly felt there's been a shift away from using the term bi, and that it's it's considered quite old-fashioned almost to call yourself bisexual. Do you think that pansexuality is a whole new category of sexuality or do you think it's more a kind of socialised term that we're using to to describe something? You know, it's a really good question. Uh, Where do we stand with these other identities, for example, pansexual? The thing is that as a researcher, I always need to keep an open mind about it. it could be its own distinct category. And when I, when I mean distinct, I mean with respect to their genital arousal, because that's what I study. Uh, we haven't had enough people in our research who identified us as pansexual, even though it's such a known term now. And from what I've seen, they seem to be quite a diverse group. So I couldn't really, I couldn't really say they're bi, they're gay, they're straight, they, they, they seem to be a group of people who could be all of these. And uh, I can't tell you right now if they would look more like bisexual people, for example, because we, we just don't have the numbers. To come back to your comment about old-fashioned, I do think that is, that is a real challenge. It's a challenge for society because, you know, if, if you've formed your identity and the two of you you say you're bisexual right you formed your identity and then you hear from a newer generation this is an old term what are you doing here uh it's it is a challenge because identity is important for older generations as well as for younger ones the problem for people who are bisexual or for anybody actually who whatever they want to call them pansexual who, who is shifting between different states in which they're in relationships with men or women or whatever gender it may be, is that you're always defined often by the person you're seen to be with. So most people, because I'm in a relationship with a gay man, most people will assume that I'm gay. Do you know what I mean? And I have gay friends who just say, you know, honestly, by now, why don't you just come out and say you're gay? You know what I mean? Or, Or there are even friends who just don't think bisexuality exists at all. You know, I've got straight friends who just laugh at me when I say I'm bisexual. You know, it's, it's, you know it, it's quite annoying, actually. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because it's everyone's defined by who they happen to be in a relationship with. I'm sure that feeds into that. Uh, I suspect also that people look at, if they know it, they look at your sexual history all, all together. And th- there will be some truth to that right if you say you're bi but let's say the majority of your partners were male you're probably not the type of bisexual 
person that most people have in in their minds uh there is there's no just one type of bisexual and i think that's what uh yeah a lot of people probably don't even realize is true now now when we first got wind of your research your latest research um lewis i and nikki talked about this and we were sort of gobsmacked in a way that this story was emerging and I think Lewis's response, uh, Nikki, was something along the lines of he was really disappointed because he was he was quite happy to be a figment figment of someone's imagination. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's always been saying that to a few people, and so so it was on his mind. But yeah, he he was he was quite enjoying it. But I think he yeah he was he was kind of. But what Every, haven't we all known for so long? Yeah, I mean, and we're just kind of amazed. We, both, we basically all said, "Well, you've spent lo- so much time doing this. Why don't you come to, come and ask us? We'll be able to tell you in twenty seconds." You know what I mean? <laughs> so th- there is, but there is a serious question here. In that, really, to be fair, you, there are lots of things that you wouldn't really be able to do studies in now. You couldn't really do a study in, I don't know, trans or being gay or whatever, and and suggest you know suggest that ask a question does being gay exist so it does feel a little bit insulting to bisexual people to have a study being done about finding out if we exist or not can you understand why people might feel like that yes i understand it it's a a matter is that we're starting out with a group of people that has already gone for a lot of challenges and, and stigma and now this study comes out and the whole question pops up again uh i you know as as a private person, I can say, you know, this is totally understandable. As a researcher, I take a slightly different take. It's, it's, it isn't about whether this makes people feel better or not. I think I would do a lousy job as a researcher if I would just find what people want to hear. In fact, I wouldn't need to do my job at all, but nobody would need to do research. Uh, and uh, the truth is that we would have published the opposite result too if we would have found it. So it's, I understand. You'd, you'd, you'd got a huge backlash to that, wouldn't you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, what does surprise me is that we got the backlash to the degree that we get because we thought, you know, even if you don't like that we asked the question, that the result's still very supportive. So, uh, you know, no matter if somebody doesn't like who we are or what we've done or published in the past, I think that uh, the results we have now are very supportive, highly supportive of uh, a bisexual identity in men. And uh, that in itself is hopefully extremely valuable to everybody. Well, I think Lewis said, didn't he, Nikki, when we were talking about it in the last program, that basically, um, you know, now is the time to basically move on from this and actually mm. start doing more research to help bisexual people because particularly in the LGBT world, the B, to be fair, does not get a great deal of attention and support really. Yeah, but we know that bisexual people suffer, you know, a lot in terms of mental health. There's a lot of discrimination still in the workplace and among friends right. and family. So we we feel as a community, if I can speak on behalf of people that are bi, then that, you know, hopefully this is the beginning of a new era of research about bi people and that hopefully this will give you the grounds to do more research, if that makes sense, because you've proved the point that we exist. <laughs> I, I wish. I uh, <laughs> Doing, doing uh, any... Any research on sexuality, especially the way we do it on where we look at uh, physiological arousal, is extremely under 
funded. Uh, that said, uh, what you just suggested that you know we should move on and and go beyond just looking at arousal patterns, but you know what what are the con consequences for bisexual people? The organization that has kindly funded our research, the American Institute of Bisexuality, I do know that they have a strong focus on this now too. So. I do think we can feel positive that the future will have will do more and more good work for for the bisexual community. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you very much indeed for talking to us, Gareth. And I presume you're doing are you doing more research into female bisexuality then? We study female bisexuality all the time uh, as well. Uh, I said earlier that we've looked into this idea that uh, empathy affects female sexual arousal more. So we're doing this uh, research. Right now, it was uh, after the last study came out and we talked, it was uh, several women, particularly women who identified as straight, saying, you know, I'm straight, but I have this empathy, I have this sympathy for the woman I see in the video. And so that is one way to go and understand how female arousal works and potentially works differently from man's. And uh, the other research we're doing, as I mentioned earlier, is that we want to see how arousal may change over time. You said, you know, some bisexual people are not 50-50 and their preferences can change. So is this reflected in the physiological arousal? That's something else we're doing. Okay. Well, Gareth, it's been lovely to talk to you um, and to, um, you know, challenge you on a few of those things. <laughs> um, well, thank you to both, yes. <laughs> and uh, and ho hopefully we can keep in touch and uh, keep the bisexual community uh, up to date with all this research well, in the future. I thank you so much for, for also uh, taking your time to talk to me. I, I, I remember now well the last time we talked and I remember <laughs> I enjoyed it already then and I enjoyed it tonight as well. Fantastic, thank you. Oh, wonderful. Uh, take care. Take you care. too. Bye-bye. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. This is Bisexual Brunch. So that was Nikki and me talking to Dr. Gerolf Rieger um, all about his research into whether or not bisexuality in men exists or not. And the conclusion is that, yes, we do, after all, exist. But that wasn't the conclusion uh, 15 years ago in 2005. I know he said uh, in that interview that it was a smaller sample in 2005. And I know this research has been supported by the one of the bisexual organizations in America, but I don't know about you, Nikki and Lewis, but it still all feels a bit pointless to me. I don't, you know, I just don't understand the need for it, really. Yeah, I mean, for me, I agree. And as you know, I am definitely a stat heavy bisexual. I love a bit of academic research to back up what we're going with. But I think the problem is, you know, there's the, overall there is a lack of bisexual research. One of the biggest issues we face as well is being amalgamated into LGBT research. So my blood boils every time I read X percent of LGBT people are more likely to X because it's lazy. And one of the things they've noticed with the mental health stats is that if you look at it on average, gay and lesbian people tend to do, you know, just a little bit worse than straight people when it comes to mental health. Bisexual people tend to do dramatically worse. But when you amalgamate that into LGB, it makes it look as if gay and lesbian people are struggling more than they are with mental health, and that bisexual people are actually doing a bit better than they are. So for me, 
doing research is about being responsible. It's about actually understanding the nuances of what you're talking about and actually coming up with recommendations and looking at very unique areas um, that need to be looked at. You know, for, for example, are gay men ever rejected, you know, by and large by the people they're attracted to? You know, because we know from a little bit of research that's been done that straight women on large don't find bisexual men attractive. So that's a, a unique area. And that's what we need to be looking at are these unique areas. And I think also looking at the everyday experiences. The thing is with the research they did is it didn't help any bisexual people. You know, bisexual people exist. That, you know, bisexual people know that. That's not a help to us. What would be more of a help to us is surveying, for example, you know, the best ways for a bisexual person to come out to their wife. You know, that's the main question I get. So why don't we have more sharing of experiences on that and the ways it's worked and the ways it's gone wrong? You know, that's what we need. We need research that is actually helpful to bisexual people so that they can be informed about what they are likely to face, you know, what road bumps there might be, you know, and, and what is likely to lead them to happiness. You know, we don't need research that states that bisexual people exist. It just doesn't help us. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, that was what I challenged Gerolf on when we were discussing it. But I think I am also worried about the fact that we're only at the beginning of the research. But then to be fair, sexology in general, the field of sexology is vastly behind where it should be only because it's so political getting the money to do the research and of course being bi we kind of fall down the bottom of the list so I think he was really positive overall about wanting to do more so let's just hope that he can secure some more funds and get on with some some more research sooner rather than later it's interesting isn't it that it's been supported by one of the bisexual organizations in America it feels to me that maybe you know the frustrations that you've got Lewis about research and and support and investment and all the rest of it. Maybe it's because the bisexual organisations in America seem to think that they need something to prove something in order to get that support and that money. Maybe that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I can understand that if that's where they find themselves at this point in history in 2020, that actually, guys, it'll unlock more funding and opportunity if we can actually have a 20-year bisexual study that finds that bisexual men actually exist then that's a necessary thing that we've had to do, unfortunately. And you know what? It will be helpful, you know, because there are still people that question this. The fact that we can then throw a a big report on their desk and say, well, look, you're you're wrong according to science. Yeah, I guess there are a percentage of people that that will be helpful for. And there might be a percentage of people that that will be what they need to actually finally accept bisexual people exist. I just think we're, we we are just miles ahead of this. Of like, yeah, we know they exist, and we're like ten miles in front. Of like, okay, here are the issues though, and we need to get people there. So if this research helps get people there, then fine. Yeah, and one of the things that he wasn't able to sort of say much on at all, really, was the whole thing of attraction when it comes to things other than sex. So you know, the fact that bisexual any sexuality is more than just sex. Yeah. And and he wasn't able to sort of, sort of draw, you know, talk about that really. So that's been completely ignored. It is really, it is. Well, he, he admitted it. It was all. It's all about arousal. That's what it's all about, really. Mm. And I think that just tells us again so much about how behind we are in terms of thinking about the complexity of sexuality. Because his his response was really, if you don't get aroused, then you're not really into it. But I think we probably all differ with that, wouldn't we? I think we probably all slightly disagree with that. That is a little bit more nuanced. There's a few different things contributing. So, you know, it's not the only research out there. So 
Yeah, I don't know. It was it was it was a fascinating one, but I get the feeling that there's a lot more to do. Well, somebody who can vouch for the fact that uh, bisexuality has existed uh, for much longer than uh, <laughs> the study uh, uh, by uh, these scientists and probably remembers the Kinsey report in the 1950s. I'm sure she does. Is uh, the lovely Amanda Barry, Carry On Star, Coronation Street star. Star of Bad Girls, star of everything. She's been around for a long, long time, just about to turn 85 and very much, uh, very openly uh, bisexual. And she's our uh, bisexual story of the week this week. Um, I um, managed to spend a short time with her talking about her personal life and various other things. But we we got um, a little bit of time to talk about uh, what being bisexual meant to her. So here you go. Uh, Have a listen to uh, the wonderful. Uh, lady that is Amanda Barry. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. As far as I was concerned, I suppose, and I think this is true when people are talking about their sexuality or sexual preferences or whatever you want to call it, I always think of it as more emotional preferences than physical ones because I think it starts terribly early and I think I think it starts with just that attraction to somebody that isn't necessary it isn't necessarily a physical attraction it can be a very strong emotional attraction and when you're very young you don't know what that is you know mm-hmm. so my experiences of that also plus the fact <laughs> they're silly there's always something silly in my life about these things but I, I have told this story before my family were always had enormous bosoms. Not my father, man, but, you know, the <laughs> others. And, I mean, but really this thought that stopped people in the street. Yeah. And I just went, I will die if those things grow on me. <laughs> but that was in my, I mean, it was quite a strong image in yeah. my head. And I literally went, you are not growing on my body, those things that stick out there at your peril. Look at me to this day. I don't need a bra. Honestly, I mean, talking about mind over matter. So there there was part of me that wanted to be sort of androgynous Mm -hmm. that was neither one thing or the other. And that, I suppose to this day, that is sort of how I kind of am. But why do you think people struggle to cope with the notion of people being attracted to both sexes. Why? Do, I don't why? know, darling. I think they're silly. I mean, I I don't think you know. I don't. I don't think. I think you have to sort of. I think so many people are influenced. If nobody was told mm. at an early age what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules at all yeah. as to how you lived, or who you lived with, or how many people you lived with, or who you had sex with, or you did, you know, yeah. if nobody told you. At all, I should think that we would be living in a totally different mm-hmm. format. I, I because the rules that are applied. I mean, there was a time when, as far as women were concerned, and men, mm-hmm. you know, if you weren't married by the time you were twenty-three or something, and you know, in first child, I mean, otherwise you would have offended half your family. Yeah, absolutely. I think people did things under pressure, and if they'd said, you know. Well, I don't want children, and I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know who I'm. A, I mean, my, my 
definite bisexuality, mm. and I don't like putting labels over my head, and I hate labels on anybody. Mm. Um, it's just genuine. That's that's how it was. Yeah. That's who I fell in love yeah. with. Yeah. That's who I had the relationship with, and that's how it was. I yeah. suppose. In this day and age, people talk about fluidity of whatever. Yeah, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, just me. That's what happened. Yeah. And um, luckily, I was able to sort of, sort of manage in my own way. But it it caused a lot. Of, I will say now they say mental health, whatever you want to call it, problems. Mm -hmm. I I blushed so badly when anybody looked at me. I was terrified anybody would know mm. something about me. I used to go and offer my blood up to take a pint of blood out of me to stop me. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because if somebody looked at me uh, in a rehearsal room, I just blushed. Mm -hmm. And somehow there was something in that I was supposed to be ashamed of, which I, I didn't even register as to what that was. And I think there's a lot of people out there still to this day yeah. who are, you know, it comes bisexual of some mm. nature or, you know, they might mm. be 50, 50, 60, 40, mm. whatever it may be. And they just cannot, they can't come out and talk to anybody because they end up in either a straight or a gay relationship. And it's very difficult then to admit that they, they want to. Yeah, you know, I, I do think actually, and I think it's a thing that I did do, I actually was honest because when I met my husband and I had, actually had relationships with other men mm. but when I met my husband uh, and he was married at the time and I thought that this is really important that you you have to know absolutely that mm. I I don't know <laughs> whether it's Christmas or whether it's Clapton you know I don't, <laughs> I don't know where I am up to because and he went oh good I've always wanted one on a lead <laughs> <laughs> and I went you know, so I know it sounds silly, but sometimes if you if you are honest about something, yes, you find that maybe the other person can start being on, honest about things too, yeah, yeah. and that the, and if you're not going to be honest, then you're going to be in trouble later on down the line. You have to be, mm -hmm. and and also as you get older, darling, I'm eighty four now for Christ's sake. You have to get yourself, you know. As you get older, you go, what was I worrying about? You know, why, yeah. why was I in such a state? When the papers were after me, trying to out me, I used to be covered in a cold, damp sweat with my heart coming down my nose yeah, every yeah. Friday night when during Coronation Street. Crazy. Real terror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I look back and I think, well, now they wouldn't even they wouldn't you wouldn't even make a section in the buy and sell thing. You know, you would. It's it 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 will change. It will go on changing. And more and more people are actually identifying yeah. themselves as bisexual. Yeah, or whatever they you want know. to be. Mm. But for goodness sake, please stop adding letters to it. It sounded like a bait and sandwich <laughs> to start with LGBT. I'm dyslexic, so I thought it meant a bacon sandwich. And now it's gone. I mean, is, is it going on forever to got the end of the alphabet? Because my attitude then is that I don't need anybody to represent that side of me. Yeah. And I don't want a letter. I don't want to be... Yeah, absolutely. And I the, don't want it. And going back just to the soaps very briefly on this, yeah. the, 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 there is a lack of, for some reason there's a lack of, we, we, you mentioned Coronation Street's full of old, uh, lesbian and gay characters, but there's now a lack of, 
there is definitely a lack of bisexual characters because well, I, I think, what I, tends I to happen is right. they, they shove people in, they make them right. gay yeah. or they make them stay straight, right. stay gay, right. or make them suddenly right. straight. Shut up and stay straight. Or yeah. they kill them off. Yes, they usually they, die. They, they don't. They, they, hit they, by a tree or something. They can't, yes. they can't cope with <laughs> no. the nuances of bisexuality, no. can they? And also, I'm also, I wish that people, I know they say bisexuality. Yeah, it's the sexual thing they're getting they hung up about, that. isn't it? That is what they do. Well, I mean, what anybody does in bed is really indescribable. As you said before, a lot of it's to do with emotions. It's emotional. You know, if you you pin it onto a sexual act, I mean, you know, even Auntie Ethel probably did some very strange things in the past, you know, that we wouldn't want to be watching. It's part of people's lives. You go, yes, darling, get on with that, whatever you're doing. But it isn't that. It's the emotional side of where your little emotional centre just goes and does something that is far more important, actually, than the sexual act. Absolutely. That's well, what I, I mean. Yeah. The sexual act is there. Yeah. And you a small you, part. And of also, I've got a small part. Just, <laughs> sorry. That might be another reason. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it is, isn't it? It's yes. a small part of everything. Yes. Right? It's, yeah. not, it's not the main factor as to no. why you love somebody exactly. or why you suddenly make a connection of some sort exactly. that is really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Amanda, it's been a delight Thank to you, talk darling. to you. And to you, <laughs> darling. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So there you go, Amanda Barry, making us all feel positive about being bisexual. And I mean, as she said in that interview, you know, if there wasn't any rules and regulations and, you know, this, that and the other about what you do and what you don't do and blah, 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 we could all just be ourselves, really. I love her. I love her attitude. It's just devil may care. And, you know, in an ideal world, that's how everybody would feel, comfortable enough to be themselves. And am I right in saying, I mean, you're a little bit of a historian, aren't you, Nikki, on sexual things, as it were? Um, <laughs> if, we go, if we go way, way back, when I say way, way back, two or three hundred years, maybe to the 1700s, wasn't everybody at it anyway, without, with each other, and it wasn't a problem? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a complicated one. I mean, the church has got involved at various points in the history of, Britain anyway in terms of telling people what they can and can't do but it wasn't very well enforced I mean I don't think Henry VIII set the best example not to say <laughs> not not saying for a second that he was bisexual but my point being that I don't think he set the most moral example of how to behave sexually and I think yeah there's there's always been examples throughout history of bisexual people when I was writing my book on the history of dating I found loads of examples but what was also fascinating is that people were really pressured into just admitting that they'd just been fooling around or they were experimenting or they were actually gay and they were not allowed to own, own that label of bisexuality. And I suppose what Amanda's saying is that she doesn't really feel that people should have to. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And talking about, we must do some history at some point. We must go back to the 1700s and find out what was going on in the 1800s. <laughs> but also, a period you've spent a bit of time on, actually, is that period after the First World War, particularly mm. amongst women in Britain, where there were obviously a lot of the men had died in the First World War or people had died in, the, in what was the pandemic then as well in 1918. And the, a lot of women were... Uh, spending a lot of time together, weren't they? And exploring their sexuality and all sorts of things. I mean, it's a fascinating period that's hardly been covered, really. No, it hasn't been covered. And when I was researching my book and I studied that area, what I discovered was that this was this kind of halcyon time for women to meet other women, for women to kind of get to grips with who they might be besides being heterosexual married partners of men because the First World War did obliterate a lot of the men that were going to be potential husbands for these women and also got women working, you know, because women, for the first time, they were they were secretaries, they were journalists, they were doing all kinds of jobs that they hadn't done before and they were sharing lodgings with other women and they would use 
They would go out, they would drink, they would party, and they would have sex with other women. And it was obviously a great time of experimentation and of a kind of freedom, you know, because people had really learned to to prize life after the First World War. And so they just kind of got on with whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, I think that it kind of goes back to what Amanda was saying, you know, about if we could just let go of these social norms. If it wasn't seen that there were paths and lives for people you know, a way that men have to behave or a way that women have to behave. And I guess after the First World War, enough of the rule book had been ripped up and, you know, people who they were going to marry and and their way of life and what was happening with work had been ruled up that maybe, you know, they they could explore a little bit more in, in that time, which is interesting because you just wouldn't really expect it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, next week uh, on Bisexual Brunch, we're going to be finding out how many of us actually officially exist. Because uh, I was talking earlier in the year, uh, before lockdown, actually, uh, bizarrely, but the statistics haven't changed because I've not done any research since then, with YouGov. And I was talking to them about uh, the latest, very latest statistics, both in America and in Britain, on the, the prevalence of bisexuality amongst men and women. Uh, different ages and things like that so we'll be finding out a little bit more about that uh next week so it should be interesting to find out how many of us are out there officially as it were uh my few view of course is i don't know what your view is there's actually a lot more people out there than than the official figures suggest yeah i'm excited for this interview with yougov i you know for me i do think yougov is a reputable researcher and I think that in the past, they've understood the nuances. So I haven't seen many um, pieces that they've done that say LGBT people. You know, they can tease it out. They can talk about gay people, how that's separate to bi people. So for me, it'll be very interesting to look at how they found bi people or by identifying people and what the nuances were. I'm excited for it. Until next time, we'll meet again in a week's time. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at @bisexualbrunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Oh my god, I'm so hot. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.